How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I'm the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. Catapulting Commissions family, so incredibly excited to have you back this Wednesday. The Catapulting Commission show has been driven on sales leaders, uh, sales executives, entrepreneurs who have excelled in the world of sales. Today, guest matches that category. But what's unique about our guest today, she is retired, younger than majority of the people who listen to this show. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Rachel. Now, Rachel is 28 years old. She retired and quit her job at 27 off passive income. She is the best-selling author of two books, Money Honey, Passive Income, and Aggressive Retirement. And I just checked, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement is the number one best-selling book on Amazon in the unemployment category, which, as you imagine right now, is ginormous. We're dating the show. We're recording during COVID. She also has over 585 star reviews on her book, Money Honey. She's been featured in Penny Hoarder, New York Times, been contracted by multiple universities across the country to speak in the world of financial literacy. She has helped thousands of people fully understand how to create a lifestyle on their own terms, manage their money. Catapulting Commission's family, you've heard me say it before. It's one thing to make a lot of money. It's the better thing to save a lot of money. And Rachel Richards today is our guest on the show. Rachel, welcome to the Catapulting Commission show. Anthony, thank you. What an incredible introduction. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, as I keep going on these things. I'm trying to give a, you know, like a Bruce Buffer a, a run for his money there. It's, it's <laughs> such a fun job. That's awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, Rachel, let's talk about this here. So, next week, so we'll date the show. Next week, I'm turning 37 years old. At 27 years old, if I would have been able to retire, I would have, like, been ecstatic. And, and I was pretty... I feel like I'm pretty adventurous. I was like, no, I'm going to, I have a certain age in mind that I'm going to retire by. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, I get introduced to you. I see your bio. We talk, you retire at 27. I, I feel like small fries here. Let's talk about this. How did you retire at 27 years old? Yeah. So I retired a lot sooner than I ever would have thought possible for sure. Um, and my journey of creating passive income started in 2017. So at the beginning of 2017, I had $0 in passive income. That year, my husband and I invested in our first rental property. So we bought our first duplex. And then later that year, I wrote and published my first book, Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income and royalty income. And we focused on growing those as much as we possibly Possibly could over the next few years. So fast forward to today, we now own almost 40 rental units and I now have two best-selling books. Um, and in February, I just had my first $7,000 month in book profits. Wow. Now I will say this as an author myself, a $7,000 month in your first month, congratulations, because I don't, I, you know, it's funny when you tell people you're a best-selling author, you know, un unless you, you know, JK Rowling and you wrote the next, you know, major book, some, sometimes, you know, as a as an independent author who publishes book, it's, it's a lot of work. We are definitely out on the grind and hustling. So kudos to you on that. But I'm not going to let you skip past it. You made it seem so easy. 2017, <laughs> I had my first rental income property. Today's 2020. We have 40. I mean, if you go month by month, I mean, that is I don't want to say it's one a month, but it's pretty close in that realm. So 
Walk us through, how did you start that process to say, I'm going to start on passive income. What was like that aha moment that I needed something? And then how did you just jump into it? Yeah, for sure. So passive income, the way I define it is money that is earned with little to no, to no ongoing effort. It's no get rich quick scheme, right? It does take time or money to create. But once you have a passive income stream created, it can be very hands off. So early on, when I was in my early 20s, I was always an avid reader, always really into finance. I've been a nerd my whole life. And I've always wanted to invest in real estate. So my initial path to early retirement was all going to be through real estate. In fact, my plan was to purchase one single family house every year for 15 years, all on 15-year mortgages. And then after 15 years in my mid-30s, I would retire. So that was my initial plan. It ended up going a lot faster than that. Um, We bought our first duplex in 2017. And we had a few things going for us that allowed us to scale very quickly. So first, I, as you know, I, I sold Cutco knives and I paid my way through school and I graduated mm-hmm. without debt. That's right. <laughs> and then my husband is a, a veteran and he used his military benefits to pay for his school. So we both graduated debt-free, which was a huge advantage at the time. And I always tell people, you know, I've never made six figures. I've never received an inheritance. I was just very frugal and good at cutting costs. And early on, even when I was making $32,000 out of college, I was saving 50% of my income. So it only took a few years to save up a decent chunk of money. When I was 24 years old, we found that first duplex. Um, You know, we're also investing in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a very reasonable place to invest, low housing prices. So the duplex was a hundred grand and my husband and I both put 10 grand each into the duplex to get to our $20,000 down payment. And that's how we bought the first one. And then after that, I had my real estate license. It, not for, I didn't have clients. I wasn't helping people sell homes or anything, but just for my own investing purposes. So with every single property we bought, we would totally deplete our savings. But then because I was the buyer's agent, I would immediately get a commission check for thousands of dollars back. So that would kind of jumpstart the savings for the next property. Um, so we had the normal savings that we were doing before. We had the cash flow now from the rental property and I had my commission check. And so it didn't take as long as I initially thought to save up for the next property. We have six properties total. So it's, it's almost 40 units total. And we acquired all of those in 2017 and in 2018. Wow. I am thoroughly impressed. A couple of things you said there. 32 grand out of college, saving 50%. I have people that have worked for me that have made $320,000 and couldn't save 10%. So kudos to you on that. That is such a level of self-discipline. But you go out, you take a risk, you bet on yourself. We're going to definitely talk about your selling days in Cutco and how you got two best selling books. But this is just fascinating to me and it's fascinating to my audience. I, I have someone who works for me right now who is, um, she's a little younger than you and, and her income and what she has, she has such strong saving patterns and in income that I've told you know, the executives that she works for, I'm like, hey, you, you're not going to have to worry about her leaving. You're going to have to worry about her retiring before she's 30 years old. Like there's, and you hear these strategies and you're living proof. And I'm going to be sure she listens to this episode and get a copy of your book to her. But Rachel, when you made that investment and you said, Hey, you deplete your savings. I gotta be honest with you. That scares the living daylights out of me. If you told me right now, Anthony, Hey, go and buy a property here in central California, greater LA, you know, it's going to be, you know, now our property is a little bit different. Let's just say it's 250 grand and you're going to go put 50 grand down just to get in the game. 
And let's say that 50 grand leverages me to the max where I'm like, okay, I'm uncomfortable now. How do you get over that feeling? And, and is that a feeling you had? Oh, for sure. I mean, to deplete your savings, it's not exactly something I recommend, but my, I, I recommend to invest based on your risk tolerance and your age. I just happen to have a very high risk tolerance. And because I had dabbled in real estate before, just at a couple jobs, I had the knowledge level where I was pretty confident in my projections. And I'm very, very conservative whenever I'm doing projections or analysis. So I was pretty confident that this property was going to make exactly how much I thought it was going to make, if not more. And it ended up making more. I mean, the first month it was cash flowing $500 per month. Now this duplex cash flows eight or $900 per month in profit, but it was very scary. And, you know, there's two sides that real estate investors find themselves on. It's either buy your properties in all cash or leverage your money. And certainly you can buy properties in cash and that's a lot safer. That's definitely true. But if I had tried to buy properties in cash, I would not be where I am today. So I am a fan of leveraging and getting mortgages on your rentals. The only debt that I have to this day is the mortgages on my rental properties. And those, with investment properties, lenders require you to put 20 to 25% down. So you're, not, you're typically not over leveraged. As long as you're putting that amount down, I think it's still very safe. Now, do you recommend somebody in that space put 20 to 25 down? You have a mortgage. Is this a 15-year, 30-year? And how much do you have? You just told me you depleted your savings. So I'm, I mean, well, let's say the air conditioning unit, the water furnace, or water furnace breaks, something happens. Are you prepared to cover that or are you continuing to leverage? I would be prepared to cover it because the amount that we were saving, even though we weren't making a ton of money at the time, we would be able to cash flow most, most things. Plus with the commission check that I received back at closing, I immediately have another chunk in savings. So that was always such a great strategy for me. Um, and then what was the other part of the question? The first part 15 of the question? Or 15 or 30 year. That's Do right. So we, we have 30 year conventional mortgages as much as we can. Once you get over the four unit threshold, then you have to take a commercial loan. So on a few of our properties, we do have a commercial loan. Normally a commercial loan is 20 or 25 years with a little bit of a higher interest rate. So that's what we've done. Um, if you can do a 15 year mortgage and swing it and still make the cash flow you want to be making, I think that's awesome. I personally wanted to maximize my cash flow. So I wanted the longest term possible. You know, Rachel, hearing you say that is so, so intriguing to me because you're absolutely right. Everything I've read about real estate investing, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's a catapulting commissions listener right now that's been in this boat. I've been in the boat personally where I received a six-figure commission check or greater and all in one lump sum. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. I'm going to put my money away in savings. And then I get phone calls, right? And, and I have a lot of friends and a lot of uh, sales professionals that are real estate investors and everyone calls me and is like, Hey man, send me 80 grand. We're going to buy a property. You know, we'll go half and half. And I'm, I sit here and I'm like, no, I'm not going to send you 80 grand to buy a property cash. <laughs> I don't, I, to me, I don't know enough about this market. It's incredibly scary to me. But if that person called me and said, Hey, we're going to put 20% down. Are you in? Or if I went to my wife and said, Hey, we're going to take this hundred grand. We found a small property. We're going to put 35 grand down. And we'll go from there. That makes me more comfortable. I just never realized that there's people who do that and are successful. Obviously, you're living proof of that. Are you the norm or the exception? When it comes to real estate investing, mm -hmm. I would say most, most investors I know definitely leverage their money. They definitely get mortgages. I don't actually think I know 
I mean, unless somebody investing in just a really like low income area where houses are 40 grand, which there are areas like that in Louisville, some of those people will purchase those in all cash. But most people I know definitely take mortgages. Okay. And so you don't, and you, you're doing the passive income. So you're not going for the, the thrill or excitement of flipping the property and trying to, you know, here's 80 grand, I'm going to get 140 back. I mean, it's very much a long-term strategy for you. Is that correct? Yeah. I think rental properties, owning them is one of the best tools for building long-term wealth. And I truly believe every young person should own a rental property. Um, Flipping is amazing too. And it can be a great way to make money quickly. You have to have money to do it, but if you do a, a couple flipping deals and you make 20 or 30,000 on each one, you can make some quick money doing that. But for me, my goal is about the passive income so that I could retire. And that's why I went for the rental properties. Great. I like that. Now let, let's, let's flip this conversation a second here. So you've invested in these, in these uh, rental properties and these investment properties at an incredibly young age, put yourself in a position to retire. You have the passive income stream coming in. However, you speak to college students around the country and you give this financial advice to get into that position. You have someone listening or watching this show right now that is, when they heard you said you make 32 grand, they're like, dude, I made that last month, right? They're sitting here and they're making significant amount of income in these salespreneurs, high professional sales jobs. Some of them are real estate uh, agents themselves making these high dollar incomes. What advice would you give to one that says, okay, hey, I want to start. I'm just nervous, I'm scared, or I don't know if I can afford to do that, even though they might make more money than what you said you were making when you started. Well, here's the thing. I always tell people when I'm teaching at workshops or speaking at colleges, you know, I ask, if you're trying to save a lot of money quickly, what do you do? And most people will say, oh, well, I'll stop eating out. I'll stop shopping. I'll make my coffee at home. And those are excellent responses. I noticed though there's a common theme. Everyone's focused on decreasing their expenses, which is extremely important because we have to live within our means and get our spending under control. But also there's only so much you can do to decrease your expenses, right? You can't stop paying for food, for example. You can't negotiate your mortgage payment. And so there's a little bit of a limit. There's two sides to increasing your savings rate. Number one is to decrease your expenses. Number two is to increase your income. And I tell people, we sometimes forget about increasing our income, but it's so important. There's no cap on how much money you can make. Now, for somebody who's already making a high income, they have an advantage already. And then it becomes more about going back to that first one and decreasing your expenses. Because if you're making 100, 200, 300 grand a year, I've never made that much money. But you have so much power. I mean, you could literally, if you wanted to, save 80% of your income and probably retire early just from having that much money in savings after you know five or 10 years. So I think it's just important for high income earners to be really, really careful about their spending and try not to let that lifestyle creep happen. I, I love what you're saying and I, I can't say it enough. I believe when a salesperson makes a certain amount of income, if they don't have their money management under control, they're no longer an asset to an organization, they're a liability because they're always going to look for saying, Hey, I made 400 grand in 2019. I made 290 grand in 2020. I took a $110,000 pay cut. I hate this job. I'm leaving. I'm always on like, Hey, wait a minute. If you take the average of that, that's still 350 over a two year span. The average income in the U S and 60 grand, 50 grand, 40 grand, whatever metrics you're looking at, you're doing pretty well. It's not a income issue. It's a me issue. It's a money management issue. So I, 
I mean, this is so motivating for me to hear you say this, Rachel. <laughs> so when a young person wants to invest and wants to start this real estate process and, and wants to, you know, to essentially duplicate what you've done, how important was it for you to have an existing, I mean, where was your credit at? I mean, you said don't get credit cards. How does a young person establish credit, don't have credit? It's like that catch 22. What did you do in that space? So I'm not as hardcore as Dave Ramsey, because I know he says no debt, no credit cards. Um, I definitely think credit cards can be a good thing if used properly. And it's so hard to use them properly because credit card companies are designed to be predatory and to take advantage of your emotions. So that's where it gets tricky. But if you're the type of person that you can get a credit card, you can pay the balance in full every single month, and you can treat it like a debit card, then credit cards can definitely work to your advantage. You just have to treat it like a debit card is all. So don't spend money that you don't have. If you do that, you can really create a, a great credit score. Um, and, and that's not the only thing you can do. I mean, car loans, you know, a mortgage on a property, other types of loans will also contribute to your credit score. And if you're going to be investing in real estate, it is important to have a high credit score. Some people think that a credit score only helps you to get loans, but it's actually important for all sorts of things. You know, insurance premiums could be lower based on your credit score. If you have a low credit score, you might have to put a deposit down on utilities or a deposit down on a cell phone plan. So credit scores are important for more than just lending. And I definitely think it's important to try to get a credit score that's definitely above 700 and above 750 if you can. Good, good. 700, 750, the metric. Do you hear that catapulting commissions family? I love how you said leverage that credit card like a debit card. And they, you are correct. The best salespeople in the world are the credit card companies. I mean, they are always, I don't want a mail, they're in my email. I don't want an email, they're on my phone. I don't want a phone, they're popping up on my ads on Facebook. They're always somewhere show me something on some reason why I need these points or miles or whatever you can say from American Express, Visa City, et cetera. Kudos to you on that. So develop this plan. What is the plan now? I mean, you wanted to retire at 27. You, you have a long road in front of you. What's the next goal for you? So I, you know, some people say, well, Rachel, you're not retired because you're still working. And I use the terms retired and financially independent interchangeably. So for right now, it's not about working or not. It's about working when, where, and if I want. And that's the freedom that I have now. Um, you know, a lot of people have been asking, well, what's next? What are you going to do next? And I realized I worked towards this goal of having, you know, $10,000 per month in passive income for so long. And I got there last year. And now I'm learning it's okay to not constantly be working towards something or be super ambitious all the time. And you have to enjoy the journey as you go. So I'm just trying to actually enjoy right now and take a break and not work as much. And I've also just learned that I don't have to try to monetize everything I do. It's okay to have fun, right? <laughs> it's okay to have hobbies that you do for fun and that you're not trying to make money off of. So those are the types of things I'm getting into now. Um, and no, no really immediate plans other than that. Good for you. Well, you definitely deserve it. That, Thank that, you. The work you've put in, I, we just met, but I'm incredibly proud of you. Like I said, when I read your bio and did my research prior to our show, I was like, I couldn't be more excited to have you on the catapults and emissions podcast. Let's oh, talk about your you. book here. Thank you. So you have uh, passive income, aggressive retirement and money, honey uh, was money, honey, the first book or passive income. Yeah. Money, honey was the first one. I published it in 2017. Okay. So let, let's talk on your journey. If I read correctly and I did, I just looked money, honey, 585 star reviews, uh, passive income, uh, aggressive retirement, 
number one bestseller right now in the unemployment category on Amazon. And that is as of today. So, you know, there's some people who say, hey, I was the bestseller because they they peaked it for, you know, a half a second, took a screenshot. This is today. You didn't even know I was going to look at it. So this is the real deal. <laughs> How did you get your books? I mean, there's there's authors out there. I, I'm being an author myself. I would love to have 580 reviews. How did you get that? Yeah. So Money Honey, I, I did several things specifically to get reviews because when you're a self-published author, you want to get a huge launch in the beginning and you also want to get a lot of reviews and reviews count a ton. So I created a launch team for Money Honey and it actually wasn't a formal launch team. It's not like I had a Facebook group specifically set aside or anything, but what I ended up doing unknowingly at the time is I would be in Facebook groups and they weren't even related to money necessarily, but sometimes a question about finance would come up and I would pop on and I'd say, Hey, former financial advisor here, here's what I think. And I'd write out this really helpful detailed response and people really started appreciating that. So after enough times, if somebody asked a finance question, other people in the group would tag me and they'd say, Oh, you need to ask Rachel Richards or Hey, Rachel Richards is your girl. So I kind of became known as this finance guru in some of these Facebook groups and built a lot of credibility and trust that way. And then when I, thought of the idea to write a book and I kind of posted, Hey, you know, here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? I mean, there were hundreds of people in in these groups that said, Oh my gosh, please write this book. You make finance so simple and easy to understand. Um, And so I realized at the time I was actually kind of doing market research without realizing it and really validating my book idea and building this almost informal launch team through these other groups. So I would go and I would say, Hey, let's vote on my book cover. What do you think I should to call the book, what should the title be? And by the time I launched, there were hundreds of people that were emotionally invested in the success of my book because they had followed my entire journey and all of my progress and they wanted to see it do well. So I kind of had this informal launch team. And when I launched the book, all these people were ready to download it and share it and promote it and leave me a review. And that got it off to a really great start. And then we're, you know, we're in sales, so you can't be afraid to ask, right? As you know, so I would shamelessly, you know, anyone that had ever commented on a post about my book or expressed interest, or I knew that they had read it or downloaded it, I would private message them on Facebook and I'd say, Hey, thank you so much for your support. You know, I'm a self-published author. If, if you ever feel like you want to help me, you know, a quick five-star review on Amazon would be a huge help. And so I did that probably for the first year. I would message people every single day asking for a review. And I got, I think even on day one of launch, I had 60 reviews because people were just ready to go. But, you know, I think it just goes back to being assertive as a salesperson and asking for the close. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency. I'm talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal. Be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com. Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. I love that. Asking for the order, getting out there, putting yourself out there. That is probably one of the things that sales professionals or people who don't know sales professionals are jealous of, right? Because there's that 
what if someone says no? What, you know, what if someone deletes me? What if someone blocks me? I mean, I even know myself when I launched my book and I did a, I did a pre soft launch and, you know, I, I emailed friends and family. I mean, it was like a list of like a hundred people. And as I was putting together my email and then as I was sending them out, I'm like, man, am I, you know, it, 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 it gets nerve wracking. Like, am I going to ask someone to do this now? You know I mean? That was the mountain head and it probably lasted about 30 seconds before I press send, but there's people who are uncomfortable with asking for that order. So great to hear you say that. Now, when you join these groups and you embark on these groups and you, you built a team to support your book, how did you continue that momentum? I mean, one of your books is still number one today. I, I looked at it, it released in November of last year. So you must be doing something. Yeah, I mean, I did, I've made my definitely my share of mistakes along the way. And I probably should have done things earlier than I did them. One thing I did right was I built an email list from the get go. So in my first book, Money Honey, there are pages inside that say, hey, download your free budgeting worksheets and your free net worth worksheets go here, put your email in and you can download them for free. So that's how I started building my email list from the very beginning. And that's the most important thing as a salesperson or business owner is to have that email list so you can have direct access to your clients. So I did that right. Um, I started a Facebook group as, so I could have a community for my readers, but I didn't do that until one or two years after I launched Money Honey. So in hindsight, I wish I had done that from the beginning. And in my Facebook group, I now have over a thousand readers and it's ex exclusive, so it's only for readers of the book, which kind of entices people to read the book if they want to join the group. So that's been good. And then I think things really took off once I was able to quit my full-time job and really dedicate myself to this business, which is what I'm passionate about. Um, I launched Passive Income Aggressive Retirement last year after I quit my job, and I was able to do a lot more in terms of marketing because I had the time. So I got on news stations, and I got in magazines, and a big focus this year has been getting on podcasts so that I can make sure I'm continually getting in front of new people and new audience members. Now, are you your own PR person or do you did you outsource this? I mean, I'm sure you get it. I get it all the time. I get emails and LinkedIn's from someone who wants to put me on multiple media outlets on a consistent basis. You doing it your own? You got somebody. I do it on my own, which is probably one of my faults is that I'm a control freak and I definitely try to do too much. And there is definitely something to be said for outsourcing and delegating where appropriate. But yes, yeah, so far I've done all of my PR on my own. Good for you. That is awesome. Kudos to you. Again, you're continually to impress me here. <laughs> Thank you. So what sales skills, right? You, we, we spent some time, you know, before we recorded, uh, Rachel has spent four years selling Cutco Cutlery. If you follow the Catapulting Commissions podcast, you know that that's where I started, spent six years. I've had some uh, previous guests on the show that have spent some time in Cutco Cutlery anywhere from a few years to, uh, I think I just had interviewed Ryan Casey and JP Arley, who both were 23, 24 years in the business. So we are like Cutco loyalists here because there's a lot of skills that come with it. But for you, what did you learn in selling or what selling skills did you take that have created this brand, which you have, which is essentially working on your own terms? Uh, I learned many things. I learned that rejection is impersonal and has nothing to do with you. And that was a big lesson I learned selling Cutco. It's a numbers game. Um, if you can work out how many calls it takes to get an appointment, how many appointments it takes to get a sale, and how many sales it takes to get to a certain amount of revenue, you can control your income just by knowing the number of calls you have to make per day. You can, you can know exactly what your income is going to be for the year. So once I started looking at it that way, 
I started taking rejection a little bit easier because it has nothing to do with me. Um, I used to get my feelings hurt and think it was, you know, this uh, insult to, to me. But now the way I see it is, oh, good. If I got a rejection, that means I'm closer to getting the next sale. And that's fine. So that's one thing I learned. Um, another thing I, I learned is just to, you just have to have the confidence in yourself and in the product or whatever you're selling to confidently ask for the sale. And you have to truly and genuinely back what you're selling or you're just not going to come across as confident and genuine. And this is actually something I struggled with writing my first book, Money Honey. Um, I, there was a point four months in where I actually quit writing the book and it wasn't just a break. I quit writing and had no intention of ever picking it up again. And at the time I was telling myself things like this, your writing is crap and who do you think you are, Rachel, to write this book? And if you publish this, it's going to be an embarrassment. So that's what I was telling myself. I had such self-doubt for some reason. And what I've learned is that writing and creating a work of art for others to judge, it's a very vulnerable thing. And that's why I was feeling those fears. And sales can be vulnerable too, because you're, you're setting yourself up for rejection. And it wasn't until I sat down with a good friend who, I, and I told her about the book and she said, Rachel, what are you thinking? You have to do this you know, you're really onto something here, please finish the book. And I did. But the only reason I went through with publishing it is because I told myself, if I can just help one person, that's all I want to do. And the imposter syndrome, that's what it was. That's what I was dealing with. There wasn't a name for it at the time, I don't think, but that's what was hitting me really, really hard and creating a lot of self-doubt. And I'm so glad I went through with publishing it because it has been more successful than I ever could have thought possible. And it's truly impacted thousands of lives. But I remember feeling like such a fraud and such a phony in the beginning because I was asking people to download my book and buy my book and leave me a review. And I don't think I had the confidence then to, to really back that. You know what I mean? Like it, I just felt like a phony. So it wasn't until six months after I published that I started getting emails from random strangers and readers on the internet that I didn't know telling me that the book had changed their lives and thanking me for writing it that I started being like, you know what, this is a good book. And I've reread it recently. And I'm just like, man, that's a really good book. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have writer's envy from my former self. Like, I definitely created something that's awesome. But I just didn't have the confidence at the time. And so that's a big lesson that I've learned and that I continue to learn is like, you just have to figure out a way to believe in your product and have conviction in your product. There's so much there with the imposter syndrome you mentioned in the beginning. You are absolutely correct. There is a level of vulnerability, a level of silence that maybe we're uncomfortable with because I, I, I have a lot of similar feelings with you. I, I remember putting catapult commissions together, getting the red set to go to market and like, holy crap, I, a, a buddy of mine was like, oh man, you're, 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 you're the next Zig Ziglar. I'm like, no, no, I'm the next Anthony Garcia. But the moment he said that I had so much, I still do have so much respect and admiration for Zig Ziglar. I'm like, who am I to be like next in line or, or try to try to compete in this space? And so, yeah, that, that imposter syndrome, those feelings of doubts, those thoughts you get and kudos to your friend for helping you with that. I know I have my own uh, support system where I'm like, Hey, I, you know, I, for lack of better, I feel like I'm, I'm failing. I feel like things aren't going well. And, uh, you, you know, that, that, that journey of entrepreneurship is so lonely at times that it is so important to have that support system. But I want, I want to piggyback on something. You said when you're selling something you, to truly, and I had to look at my notes, you, you, you use the phrase to truly have confidence in what you're selling or what you're representing. You, we kind of just touched on it a little bit, but how do you have that confidence 
where did you get that confidence? Because now you're representing yourself. There's no product. It's easy to, it's truly easy to sell an, an incredible product. I, I love Cutco. I love Cutco sales reps, but the product is amazing. It sells itself. But now you're selling yourself. And now if you really think about it, you're selling yourself and let's just, you're, you're out there competing with the Susie Ormans, the Dave Ramses. You're in that space. And I'm sure you know these people, you've read their books. You've, you're like, wow, they're so incredible. So how do you get that confidence in yourself? Here's the challenge. When it comes to selling a product or a service, you have to ask yourself, why would somebody buy this product over the thousands of products that are already out there? And you can only imagine how hard it is to write a personal finance book. I mean, that's one of the most competitive genres. So I, I really had to think hard about that. And the book idea came to me because my family and friends were coming to me for financial advice. And I love to help people. And I began to wonder, well, why aren't they reading books or learning on their own? And then I realized, oh, yeah, personal finance is boring. <laughs> It's dull, it's intimidating, it's complex. No wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. There aren't other personal finance books I found written by a young female in a sassy, sarcastic tone. So I was like, I think I have something here. And based on the feedback I'd gotten helping people in Facebook groups, I knew that I had the ability to portray this concept in a way that was easy to understand. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make a book that's really approachable for female millennials. And I think I, I definitely, I definitely hit something right because that my target audience is female millennials and I've sold almost 15,000 copies of money, honey now to mostly that demographic. Good but for you. I think it, thank you. I think it just goes back to asking yourself though, how, why would somebody buy my book over the thousands of books already out there? What unique problem am I solving? And if you can't articulate that, you're not going to have the confidence to sell the, the product. So that's where it really begins. And then probably the next step is fake it till you make it. <laughs> I will say this in catapulting commissions. We do talk about faking it till you make it is as a tool, but we talk about it mentally, which is, I think what you and I are talking about is, yes. is having that mental. I'm a fake it. till I make it not the superficial. Here's my $20,000 watch, my $10,000 purse, my $10,000 suit. Some of these things that I, that I've, uh, have found uh, sales professionals do once they, you know, get their first commission check and they feel like they're ready to conquer the world. So that, yeah, that is cool. you're exactly right. Thank you for the clarification. Mentally fake it till you make it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Which, which by the way, you and I are saying it, fake it till you make it. Professional athletes are calling it self-talk because they do the same thing before a big game. They're in front of a mirror. They have their headphones on. They are telling themselves, you know, th think about the rookie. The rookie that got just drafted any sport, baseball, basketball, hockey, football, when they go to that very first game or the first practice, they, I'm, they, they're going to fake it till they make it. They're like, hey, I know I belong here. I haven't proved it yet, but I'm going to get out there. I'm going to show you what I got. And that same mentality is, is what I interpreted from what you just shared right now when you're selling yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. 100% agree. So do you coach people right now like this or is your group the most way to get the engagement working with you so there's a couple ways i work with people i don't do one-on-one -on -one consulting but i have my books i have my facebook group community and i have my online course where people can kind of learn from me directly 
about getting your financial bleep together is what it's called. So, <laughs> so that's been a lot of fun. And prob- maybe eventually I'll have some type of group co- coaching or mastermind, but I haven't gotten there yet. Good, good. And Catapulting Commissions family, we will have all those links in the show notes. If you're listening to this on the audio version, iTunes, Spotify, et cetera, it's in the show notes. If you're watching the YouTube video, just click the notes below. Be sure to click subscribe as you're doing that. So Rachel, in the event that someone wants to get, let's say they got your book, they want to join your group, they want to stay close engagement. Do you actively engage in your own social media? Do you have someone who does that for you? Someone, can they send you a DM? Because I'm, I gotta be honest with you, I'm excited to read the book. I'm excited to give this, gift this book to a few people that come to mind. So how do they, how do they get back in contact with you? Is there, what's the exact social media link? Thank you. Yeah. Instagram and Facebook. If you just search money, honey, Rachel, you'll find me. I manage it on my own. So if you DM me, it'll be me responding. And um, if anyone wants to, I will give your listeners my passive income starter kit for free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus to download that. Moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Again, you'll find that in the show links. Rachel Richards, retired at 27 years old, has so much value. You said a quote, Rachel, we're going to end on this quote, but I think it's awesome. Rejection isn't personal. It has nothing to do with you. That right there is awesome. It's kind of how I approach my wife. So we'll just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and she listens to my shows every once in a while. So I'm going to be sure she has to listen to that one. But rejection isn't personal, guys. It has nothing to do with you. Rachel Richards, money, honey, money, honey, Rachel book passive income aggressive retirement number one best seller in the unemployment category on amazon today end of july be sure to connect with her and follow her rachel thank you for joining the catapulting commissions podcast we wish you nothing but abundant success and i ask every every guest can i get you back here in a year or two because i want to see the success and progress that you have made absolutely and thank you so much anthony for having me fantastic rachel thanks for joining the show today As always, Catapulting Commissions family, do me a favor, click subscribe, like, comment, share. We appreciate all that good stuff. Get the link to get the free access to our wonderful gift from Rachel Richards of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. I will see you next week. Well, that does it for today's episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show and share it on Instagram. Every week, I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best-selling book to one person who tags me at Anthony P. Garcia 99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions.